Hello and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast, the number one podcast about the work of Brandon Sanderson, hosted by two Texans and two Australians. I am Joe, and with me as always is Jamie, Data, and Dak. It's my kid. Yes. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> We're all here. Uh, we're here, of course, to talk about Miss Born, the Final Empire, chapters 20 and 21, wherein uh, Vin gets a little lesson on the more subtle arts of allomancy from Kelsier's brother, Marsh. She also gets a little bit more background on Kelsier and Marsh's relationship, and we get a little more background on her. And then we're whisked away as Kelsier goes to inspect the army with Yedin. And Yedin, it looks like he'll be taking over the army with, as general, as Ham is needed back in Luthadel. And Kelsier takes some dark turns in trying to invigorate his troops. But we'll find out more about that in just a few minutes. Hold on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. My revolution carries me Okay, guys, so what did you think overall this week of these two chapters? Uh, I feel like the first one, especially, not a whole lot happens happens, but I kind of said that about several chapters in the last few that we've done, despite all the craziness. Um, so these chapters I I quite liked, even though not a huge amount happened in, in Chapter 20, just getting those that little bit more about Vin and Kelsia and, and Marsh and sort of exploring their relationships and that that little taster again of maybe what Marsh and Mare's relationship was, I I quite liked like that. I also really enjoyed the insight. Like Vin was starting to enjoy herself at these these noble balls, and she's she's really changing who she is as a person. So there wasn't a lot, it wasn't a lot of new information, but I thought that it was quite a good chapter. And going to see the army, it was nice to sort of change tact a little bit and see what the rebellion was actually up to. Yedin sounds like a kind of cool guy now. <laughs> he's he's on board and happy with how everything's going and, you know, love and life. Yeah, Kelsey is a bit of a worry as well. And I think Ham really, his opinions and kind of second-guessing what they're doing might cause some problems for Kelsey. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm finding I'm sort of less worried about what Vin's going to do at this point. I'm starting to be a bit more concerned about what Kelsey is going to do. But otherwise, I quite enjoyed the two chapters this week. They were good. Yeah, yeah. Vin, uh, the first chapter is very character heavy with uh, just like little character stuff, which I really enjoy. And Vin and Mar- or not Vin, sorry, Marsh in that chapter and then Ham in the next chapter are both kind of expressing some uh, fear about what's going on with Kelsey. Or so I think that's leaning somewhere interesting here. Yeah, I think. The things I enjoyed most about the chapters were the fact that we got to see more of Marsh and Ham, because I feel like those characters have been sort of left by the wayside a bit so far. It, it's just nice to get the, like those moments with the other members of the crew. I feel like we've seen a hell of a lot of Breeze, but not so much of some of the other characters, so it's nice to get more time with them and see inside their head. The, the thing that hit me most about the end of the chapter is less that... that you know, Kelsier is going down his dark path, but Ham's reaction to it, I think it's the first time we've seen Ham 
shaken up. Like he seemed fairly unflappable and you know calm and always ha- happy to make a joke or good for a chat, but just otherwise, yeah, fairly unfazed by things. And now all of a sudden he's just like, dude, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that just sort of gives me an indication of, all right, things are getting dark. This guy is now upset. And Ham's Ham's really a deep thinker, and he's now spent time with the troops. He's away from Kelsia. He's away from you know that high level planning he's like these are these are people they have real lives what's going to happen to them like you're just going to send ten thousand men to their slaughter you know you can you can understand why he's he's quite concerned and and kelsey doesn't seem to share that concern as openly or or at all you know Mm -hmm. kelsey thinks he's doing the right thing i think we're yeah yeah we'll talk about that later Yeah, so these two chapters for me, not so much the first chapter, I liked getting the Marsh and the Vin stuff, but the second chapter, I, I never, I, I feel like I'm never on a sure footing with any of these characters. Like, as soon as I think I, I understand where somebody's coming from or how they're thinking or how they feel about what's going on, we take kind of a left or right turn. And I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I like it or. Because because I'm a big fan of characters that are complex, but that also, especially when you're talking about heroes, that are also ones that truly have a benevolent goal ahead of them. And I feel like sometimes we get so muddy in this book, it's hard for me to know if I really like these people or if I despise them. And I mean, you could say the same thing about books like Game of Thrones things like that but i don't know it's it's it was the second chapter especially um the conversations between hammond and kelsier there was a tough it was a tough read for me so is it just like uh like kelsier in this uh this one or when does it come up before that you feel like characters taking a left turn now i'm curious about the well i feel like vin takes a lot of turns of course she's kind of the she's kind of the new person in this world you know she's the she's the harry Mm -hmm. potter of like finding out about all of these things for the first time character so you kind of expect her to change and go in different directions but i mean breeze to an extent i mean i feel like right off the bat you know what kind of person he is but then he gets like when you find out more about his powers you like i start to feel icky and then Hammond in the second chapter, especially talking about like uh, maybe the noble should rule over the sky. It's just like, it, I don't know. It just feels icky. I feel icky reading about what's going on, oh. which I mean, it's real. It's not, it, you know, it feels real. It doesn't feel like a fairy tale, I guess you would say. Like uh, these, these are obviously characters that have a lot of complexity to them. I feel like in Hammond's case, it's really more of just him looking for another philosophical question like he's pursuing a line of thought that he thinks is interesting but he may not necessarily believe that line of thought he's just opening up to see i think he just prods people to see how they'd react when he's um when he says these things i don't think yeah i would i would tend to agree with you except that kelsier questions it a lot and he thinks is this hammond being hammond or is there something going on like does he really feel this way i don't know i think that's just kelsier like has has a raw nerve on the t- on the topic of nobility and how dare they think they can do these things to us. So the fact that anyone would even 
say something of that nature. He took it a bit personally. And I mean, as, as we're reading this chapter two, we are getting Kelsey's take on it, not so much Ham's take on what Kelsey, like Ham's take on the conversation. You know, maybe Ham's just throwing it out there as a question, but maybe it's a genuine concern. Like it, it makes sense that what like what they're about to do is no small task and and there is the potential for a lot of lives to be lost. And I mean, Ham's raised the question before, you know, are they are they good? Is the Lord ruler the sliver of infinity like he he really thinks about this and goes you know well, what what side are we on which sure it might just be a philo- philosophical question to throw out but you know he's spending a lot of time with these people maybe he's really really actually concerned about this stuff which i think would be quite interesting to throw in the story rather than having a, a team of people that are all like yep yep this is our goal and nothing's going to shake us it's going to add another dimension to this uh, army as well i think the impression that the book wants us to take from it at least is from Kelsier's perspective at that point he's saying you know ham because he, he confronts ham about that he's like you don't really believe that right and ham thinks about it he's like no no i guess not but Kelsier's worried that you know somewhere deep down maybe all of them believe something like that and it mm. kind of lead it kind of leads into that scene later where he's like doing this thing because he's got to give these people something to make them think maybe they can beat the nobility uh because they've been raised to think that you know the nobility are better than them, and that's the way that things are supposed to be. So I guess somebody kind of had to say it so that he could deal with it out in the open. And Ham makes a lot of sense to be the person who would be thinking of stuff like that. True. But, uh, yeah, that's just – that's the impression that I get anyway. I don't know. And uh, I, I I definitely agree that it's kind of – it's more interesting if there's, you know, second thoughts and doubts, even if they're not pub- public doubts that these characters are having as they're going through and – doing a thing that no one in a thousand years has been able to do or trying to do the thing. It's really just setting up the parallels with the, the epitaphs and the person in them who's just like, I think I'm doing the right thing, but am I? Epigraphs. Epitaph is a different thing. Yep. I've done, I, I yep. make the same mistake all the time. <laughs> God damn it. Yes, that's, that is what I meant. But that's a good transition into uh, the beginning of this of chapter 20 is uh, the first epigraph is about the thing that he sees following him that the time we heard about this before he's like I think I may be going crazy there's a thing following me and now he's it's more detailed he's like I just there there's a thing there it's all wispy and stuff so I was <laughs> I was so proud of myself I was when when it was the line of like it's made out of a dark fog and my brain just went like or a mist and then the next line is <laughs> Or missed, perhaps. I was like, damn it. <laughs> you got there a second before they did. Good job. <laughs> oh, well, you know, we get a quick turnaround on these things in this book, so. It's true. You know. yep. <laughs> so I just need to share that. So, any so any thoughts too. about the mystique? Yeah, you deserve to be proud. You called it. it even <laughs> if it was one line ahead of time. It's okay. Good job, Jamie. <laughs> so what Thanks. do you guys think that the uh, that's going on with the hero back here, the Lord Ruler, or whoever it turns out, you know, it actually is. At this point, I think I may just start calling it the Lord Ruler. The book is definitely telling us, hey, this is the Lord Ruler's journal. We even see a piece of it in Chapter 21, where it's pretty clear it's the exact journal that we've been reading. And they're like, yep, this is Lord say, Ruler's journal, all right. I was yeah. going to say, like, yeah, the, fir- the first line of that thing Kelsey reads, I'm just like, oh, I've read this before, and it's the first <laughs> line of, of the book. Yeah. I got so excited, and I was like, maybe the chapter's just going to be what we've read with all the little bits in between. And then it was a little bit of it. And I was like, maybe there'll be more later. I just want to read it. 
the recap episode. <laughs> Chapter. It's kind of me and Sazed is only able to translate time. a little bit of it at a time, so we're like getting whatever Sazed has translated so far. Just a little bit doled out in, at a time. But what do you guys think the, the Lord Ruler back then is seeing out in the night? Even though we don't really know what's going on with this dude back a thousand years ago or whatever, or what could possibly be happening, other than he's climbing through the mountains trying to find the way to defeat the deepness. Maybe it's the first ever Mist Wraith, and it's just following him around like all the Mist Wraiths are said to do, just like some misbegotten dog. He, I think he's, he's just going to turn out. Like, here, fleshy, fleshy, fleshy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> this is... This has got to be, this is the deepness. He can see it. The deepness is going to take over his soul, you know, and, and the fact that the the deepness is this mist, I mean, makes sense that there's so much, you know, people are afraid of the mists and things like that as they mm. as they go through. It's, it's kind of, uh, like we talked about before, about that the deepness we think has sort of taken over the Lord Ruler, to have it as something it's not physically, like it doesn't have tentacles, you can't, like, defeat. That's got to be, you know, a crock and bull story that the Lord Rule is telling everybody because he's defeated this thing, but it's dark, it's mysterious, it'll just take him over. It was kind of cool to to have it, well, sort of addressed now. we you know, this, is, this is this darkness slowly coming into his life. He's had all this uncertainty, and I think we're going to see the effects of this pretty quickly. Interesting. I like the idea that there's, like, Maybe everyone's scared of the mist for a good reason, and it's not just superstition a thousand years later. But if he doesn't have tentacles, then the magical caltrops of Antioch or whatever will never work. <laughs> Maybe the deepness has minions. Yeah. Or, or you know, like, if if we're right that the deepness has possessed him, then maybe, like, the overall battle is him taking out the previous person who was infest, infected with the, with the deepness. I don't know. Hmm. It's like, it's like a dark avatar situation. Oh. Okay. Interesting. All right, let's get into this uh, this chaptery thing. You know, we start out with Vin just going back and forth from Luthadel to Felice. It turns out that there's not just balls. There's luncheons and sitting parties, whatever the hell sitting parties are. Uh, I assume some kind of party where you sit. And uh, she ends up driving back and forth from Luthadel like several times a day and spending six hours in her carriage, which I understand her frustration there. Sitting parties is just cracking open a few cold ones with the girls. <laughs> yeah, I assumed it was like a tea party brunch thing, you know? Yeah. Let's have brunch. Vin has, like, a crew now, like, uh, the girls. We're going to get a whole Mean Girls thing. More more so than we've already gotten, I guess. I mean, she does mention that Lady Ilariel just does, any time she sees it, just makes takes the opportunity to treat her like garbage. It's true. Which, unsurprising, I think, to probably everyone. Uh, and she's uh, as, as as she's driving back, she's thinking how annoyed she is that not only can she not do allomancy uh, because she's still recovering from injury, but Elland hasn't even been like spending any time with her. Yeah, it's a real uh, it's a real teenage uh, nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if I can't see Elland, I'd rather be banished. I hate Romeo so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you really feel. <laughs> well, no, you know, you know, Romeo, he's boring. Tybalt, that's where it's at. That guy's cool. I don't. That's the only other character from Romeo and Juliet I remember. So, uh, I mean, that play, in my opinion, I love the Bard, but that play sucks. 
I like Macbeth. Yeah, that one's good. Uh, I also really like Julius Caesar, which some people say is boring. But Caesar was pretty cool. I like the fellow. Uh, <laughs> this is the Shakespeare portion of the show, people. <laughs> to be it's, or it's not like to be, and so on and so forth. We, we, we made, we've made all the lowbrow pop culture references of the past. This is us trying to appeal to more like higher yeah. literature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now uh, that we've got the audience who loves Dragon Ball Z or, um, sure. or Final Fantasy, now we got to get Fantasy. those those snooty hey, uh, Toriyama worked on both. <laughs> okay. Uh, but no, seriously, I mean Hamlet's obviously the most superior Shakespeare play. Okay, I'll let you have that. <laughs> Sure. There's, there, there's a, a ghost and uh, his uncle sleeping with his mom and stuff. It's it's got some interesting bits. Is that's also where uh, where what's his, the, those two guys are from, right? Who show up in other stuff now? Rosencrantz uh, and Guildenstern. Yeah, yeah, those two. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay, and so we also get an, a new a new entry in uh, it sucks to be a ska. Where Vin sees a group of ragged children having to like shake the trees to get the soot out of the trees. <laughs> I really want music for this segment. <laughs> it sucks to be a ska. You could just sing every time. That's your new job. <laughs> and so it, it did make me think. It's like this is. I'm sure it's come up before, but this is the first time that we've seen a job that is explicitly for the children and only the children to do. Mm. I don't know. It just. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched Snowpiercer, it made me think of, like, you know, the kids in the train at, at the end. It's like, well, yeah, they're the only ones who fit, so the kids are the only ones who can get into the trees, so... What else are we going to do? We can't use anyone else. Never seen Snowpiercer. Damn, man. So I have no idea what you're talking about. It's okay. <laughs> it's a good movie. They need a Lorax... They need a Lorax-like character who speaks for the trees. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, didn't the Lord Ruler have a buddy who was wondering if trees could think? Where's that guy when you need him? Yeah, Juan. <laughs> He's, uh, y- you have to assume, since apparently he was not popular with the, the hero, the Lord Ruler there at the end, that uh, once he took over everything, that guy probably did not last long. And all his writings were banished. There will be no tree or tree-related texts <laughs> allowed in the final <laughs> empire. Maybe that's why all the plant life is brown. It's like, nope. Nope, get rid of it. <laughs> Specifically to spite that one guy. Yeah. Like, I'll show you, Quan. I'll make the plants brown somehow. <laughs> Turns out the Lord, the Lord Ruler is just massively anti-environmentalist. <laughs> well, things aren't yeah. exactly thriving, so. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Really, but we don't. We haven't seen any like you know factories or anything. I think they've talked about mills and they're not super technologically advanced, I guess. Uh, to because you know. The anti-environmentalism stuff, we didn't manage to hurt the environment much until the Industrial Revolution when, you know, we're doing all these polluting things. So That's true, yeah. I don't know how they would pollute things very well at their technology level, yeah. at least from what we've seen. And then when you made the mutant called Captain Planet, you know what I mean? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, so Vin is also thinking, it's like Ellen and the others, they, they must not understand how bad the lives are for the Ska. They just stay inside their pretty keeps and don't understand. <laughs> I don't know, going to these parties is, almost as soon as she went to like one or two, she was already like, oh, the noblemen aren't so bad as I've always thought, being a Ska and being like under their oppressive boot heels. And now she's like, no, they're, they're, they're great. They probably just don't get it. 
And I mean, we've talked about how maybe that's true <laughs> for at least some of them, right? Like some of them, maybe she's right about, but there's pretty horrible noblemen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, like, it's easy to get sympathetic when they're not directing their, you know, condescension towards her for being a scar. If you were raised as a, a nobleman and you're in your carriage and you're driving through Lutherdale or wherever you are, how many of them are actually going to stop and look outside and notice anything? Like Vin notices because mm-hmm. she knows, but if they don't know, of course they're not going to be taught everything that happens to the scar like they'll know when they need to know but otherwise they're too busy at their sitting parties and luncheons and balls and (laughs) getting ready for such things and spending six hours in their carriage where they you know probably just want to read a book or talk to each other like they're they're not going to look out the window somebody's a nobleman apologist (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) moving on So Vin, Vin gets back to Mansion or Manor Renew, and uh, they find a bunch of stuff being loaded up. And turns out, you know, we're getting some weapons coming in, and they're going to be taken out to the uh, the army, which is good. Armies need weapons, right? Well, you'd think so. I like Kelsier's little bit about, yeah, the soldiers don't even know that Renu is in on our plan. They think that I'm just scamming some nobleman, which uh, probably it just goes to increase Kelsier's rep. Kelsey spends a lot of time building this reputation. Mm-hmm. Does anyone know the real Kelsier at this point? I don't think even Kelsier knows the real Kelsier. Yeah. <laughs> Vin is scared for a second that she might have to go to see the army with him. And he's like, oh, so I guess somebody's enjoying their balls and their parties. It's like, yeah, my job is to go to a fancy place, hang out with, with people and eat food. <laughs> I, I would be enjoying it too, probably. Yeah. Breeze is right. Dancing. This is the one. <laughs> and then we find out she's going to spend some time with Marsh, learning uh, about seeking and using bronze. And, like even Kelsier's like bronze is one of the less useful metals, especially for a full Mistborn. I like. So it's not. It's not just if you're a Mistborn, it's not that useful. It's overall, it's kind of it's kind of crap. Uh, I say about my brother's only power. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think it's, it's one of those. I've got I've I've got all these other powers. The fuck do I need this one for? Yeah, I mean Marsh yeah. makes a pretty good argument here in a bit for why it's useful. But yeah, I, I think Kelsier's just not good at it, and he's like, ah, it's not so great. <laughs> and uh, Vin heads over, and she uh, she starts thinking about like you know maybe I'm maybe I'm I am liking this whole no woman thing too much. Like once her problems had been things like starvations and beatings, and now they were things like extended carriage rides and companions who arrived late for appointments. <laughs> First world problems. Yeah, it was like seriously, not ska world problems. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And I, I like we we just had the thing where she's like, you know, the nobleman, they they really aren't so bad. They don't even understand. And then she's like, I used to get beatings all the time and starved by uh, you know the nobleman overlords, but it's fine. I also like that Marsh and Kelsier have that much in common. that They're both late to things. It's <laughs> kind of a funny little family quirk. It's probably left over from their nobleman upbringing. Because I doubt noblemen are expected to be on time to stuff. It's probably true. She she kind of pouts more about Ellen not uh, paying any attention to her. It's like, oh, besides, it's like if Ellen would probably forget about me if I disappeared again. You need some self-respect. I'm I'm sorry. It's just... Or teenage girl. <laughs> and uh, then she overhears these people. They're talking about Kelsier. And they're kind of in awe. It's like, oh my gosh, that's him. Did you see the scars? It's that guy. 
and talking about the eleventh medal. So we know that these rumors are still out there, despite Kelsier saying previously that he was they're gonna have to spread some counter rumors. She makes a point here. It's like, oh, the rebellion's momentum isn't actually gathering. It's all Kelsier. Mm-hmm. And then in the later chapter, it's like Kelsier's going, "This is my army," and like, okay, this is not the end goal we thought we were going for. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I mean, and Vin is explicitly thinks it here in this chapter. She's just like, it's all Kelsier's personality fueling this. Can he really, is, is he really going to be able to let go if the Scar Rebellion does take over? Is he just going to give up the power that, because given what we've seen about how his personality is kind of fueling this and his reputation among the Ska, it wouldn't be hard for him to take over if uh, they actually managed to take over Luthadel. Because yeah. Yedin's, Yedin's supposedly in charge, but I think everyone would be very more than happy to follow Kelsier instead. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Dak has talked about how, like, you know, maybe Kelsier ends up being a bad guy here, and Vin is kind of explicitly worried about that possibility here. What do you what do you think? It's another one of those things where it's like, I thought I was being super clever uh, with the prediction back then, and now they're leaning a lot harder into it. I'm like, maybe that's the obvious choice. Maybe they're going to pull the rug out from under the rug they've already pulled out. I, I don't know. <laughs> so many rugs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I don't know that Kelsey Kelsey would go and take over, but I mean it would be incredibly easy. Like if something were to happen to Yedin, Kelsey would be the natural stand-in. Also, when did we start calling him Lord Kelsier? Have I just missed that, or was that <laughs> only in yeah, these that's... chapters? It's like, oh, okay, someone's thinking a bit of themselves. Like, you know, I know there's there's titles in the army and you know general lists and stuff, but. It's General Yedin. It's not Lord Yedin. Right. And if he's the leader of this army, uh, I don't and, know. I and think he's we're the more one calling Kelsey a lord. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're we're yeah. more at risk of Kelsey going bad than we are him taking over the army. But I I could see it's incredibly easy that he would do that. It's almost like in American history when when George Washington was the head lead general that won the revolution they wanted to make him king and it's like people were trying to call him like your majesty Washington and stuff he's like no 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 I don't want that no 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 thank you yeah it's interesting and Kelsey is definitely not stopping it in this and I I think part of it is we don't see Kelsey interacting with a whole lot of regular ska who at least who know who he is we saw him with uh, with Hoyd in the last episode, and Hoyd was calling him Lord, but that's because he thought he was a high nobleman because he was meeting a Mistborn, and that's obviously what you would think meeting a Mistborn mm. is their high nobleman. But now he's interacting with these regular Ska for the first time, maybe since the beginning of the book, or I guess maybe since Vin's crew. That may have been the last time uh, we saw his interactions with just like regular folks that wasn't him standing up and giving a speech in front of people. And I want to not, now hold on, I'm, we're going to go back to, uh, to that point, what was that guy's name uh, who took over e- Kamen's crew? His name Milev. was Milev. If I search for Milev, then I bet it'll come up quick. Rewind. They called, they called him Master Kelsier at the time. Kamen called him the Master Kelsier and Master Doxon. So, yeah, that's not the same as Lord, but it's a little bit of a honorary or uh, sort of title. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's definitely a difference in how the ska that we see are interacting with him for sure, and he's not shutting it down. No. Which is also odd considering he hates the aristocracy and and all the lords mm-hmm. so much, and now they're calling him one of them effectively, and he's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. 
I don't know, just like weird. He he hates them, but he's being referred to by the same honorific. It doesn't and it doesn't seem to bother him. That just struck yep. me as a bit strange. And it's not like he's using a different name. Like I know he's posing as a lord, but they're definitely causing they're definitely calling him Lord Kelsier. Whereas like Vin is at least Lady Valette. You know, it's a totally different name. It's a different persona. But this is his name. Like people know who he is. And it's not sitting well. I like that Vin kind of ends her thought here with like, you know what? I guess Kelsey would be okay to be in charge. He's a good guy. He'd probably make a, a good ruler. Uh, so she's not even, you know, even if that's what was going to happen, she wouldn't really fight it. She says it would still smell of a betrayal, like a reneging on a promise. And she didn't want to see that for, uh, Kelsey are doing that. But at the same time, she's like, it'd be better than the Lord rulers. So, you know, I, I like him. Maybe I wouldn't mind, which is an interesting attitude for her to be taking, but you know. And then Marsh shows up, and Kelsier's like, hey, you go, you know, show her some stuff. And she brings up a good point, which, uh, in response to the stuff that Kelsier was telling us about how, you know, he's trying to make Mare's dreams come true. And she's like, keepers could maybe memorize languages and religions, but they can't, like, pop out seeds for plants that are, no longer exist. Plants are all brown. How are you going to make them green again? Kelsier doesn't seem to have, uh, that we know of at least, given that a whole lot of thought for how that's going to work. Yeah, you might, you might be freeing the scar from a, the oppression of the Lord Ruler, but you can't bring the flower back, you know? Or is it a hope that if this this gets overthrown, that it'll just come back naturally? You know, it might be different, but, you know, you won't have ash and a red sun. And mm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's Lion King principle. Once you overthrow the evil king, then the land and the plants <laughs> and the animals will come back. Circle it of heals. life. <laughs> Did you, do you think that's how it's going to go? Nope. <laughs> Hell no. Okay. Um. Okay. So duh, 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 skipping forward, Marsh comes up and they have kind of a uh, I don't even know what to call it a competition of who can be the most short and uh, uh, taciturn's not the right word. Laconic. That's the word I'm looking for because Wash said it one time in Firefly. Always <laughs> like and, size. Oh yeah. And she's a little bit intimidated by Marsh because he's got the whole like she's like I get why they called him Iron Eyes, um, and he's a li- he he starts out a little bit kind of condescending about it. He's like, look, you mistborn people, you know, you, you don't get how important stuff like bronze and copper are because you're just so powerful, ooh la la. And uh, yeah, it it does sort of go to the things like you've got all these other powers which are much more overt and powerful. You think, well, what's the, what good is this one? But for those of us who only have this power, we know how to use it and actually make it effective. So, mm-hmm. Well, and I'm curious, because we learn in this chapter, and we're, we're about to go into, because he's, he's like, you know, knowing whether the guy attacking you is a thug, burning pewter, or a coin shot, which is, uh, I don't remember if they've even mentioned that before. Those are the people who use push with the uh, steel pushes? Yeah, steel pushes. Steel push, yeah. So, yeah, they're called coin shots because they can shoot coins at you. <laughs> That's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> so... He says, you know, wouldn't that be really useful to be able to tell which one of the, the guy who's attacking you, what kind of thing they're able to do, which makes perfect sense. But we I don't think we really learn much about bronze before now. What did you guys think that it was? Did you think that you could already tell like what anybody was burning by sensing them or like how did you see it working? I just I I only assumed that it worked to tell you that somebody was using alamancy, not the specific type of alamancy they were using. Yeah, okay. I think I was the same. Yeah. It's been so long for me that it's hard to remember, but I think for some reason when I started the book, 
I just assumed they're like, oh, yeah, you can sense allomancy with this. So I was like, oh, well, then you know exactly what's going on until you get to this chapter. And it's like, oh, no, you can just kind of get a general idea of there's some allomancy over there unless you're really good at it. Uh, he makes another good point that, you know, if you uh, see somebody using allomancy and there's no smoker around, but you can't sense them, that means they're a misborn and you should run. <laughs> or an inquisitor, in which case also run. But I feel like if you'd be able to tell if someone's an inquisitor or not, because they will have spikes in their face. So. Well, their face. Can you, <laughs> but can you, though, do all inquisitors have spikes? It comes back to how mm. do they become an inquisitor? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe the spikes is, I think in one of the last episodes we talked about their little graduation, you know, it becomes quite a <laughs> ceremony to have their spikes through their eyes and that makes them, you know, a, a higher inquisitor. But maybe oh, I... there are people out there that are just inquisitors. Mm, interesting. Okay. Maybe. I also like, he, he gives a little detail that's like, you know, if you get really good at this, you can even tell what emotion somebody's trying to like get at in your brain. Maybe you can identify when someone is flaring their medals or even when they're running low on medals. And all of these sound like pretty awesome advantages to me. Yeah, definitely that last one. So we get uh, – he's basically lecturing us and Vin on why this one power that we've probably ignored up till now is pretty cool. And uh, Vin seems to take to this almost as naturally as she's taken to every other thing because – He's she's immediately sensing these things that he eventually is like, it took me six months of practice before I could sense that. And she can't sense everything that he's asking about, but she's really good to the point where he's like, oh, you must be practicing this. And he's she's she's like, no, not really. I mean, what did you expect from the daughter of the Lord Ruler, man? (laughs) (laughs) I did love his like, 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 did it work? No, I can't sense anything. Good. It took me six months to figure that out. If you'd done on the first try, I'd have felt like crap. And see, I think here's another difference between him and Kelsier is that exact situation. Because when Kelsier came up against that same situation, when he's talking to Sazed, he's like, she's just really good. And we talked about in on the podcast, like, maybe Kelsier's just not as good as he thinks. Maybe she's not that naturally good. But Marsh immediately thinks the opposite, where he's like, I'm really glad you couldn't do that, because then I would have felt like a loser for having to take six months to learn how to do it. So he definitely doesn't have quite Kelsier's pride, I think, even if he is uh, intimidating in his own right. Well, he mentions at one point he's he's been a seeker. He snapped quite a long time ago. And so mm-hmm. you got you got the two brothers. One of them is a misting, and the other one apparently is not, has, has no abilities whatsoever. And then Kelsier, you know, gets... Kelsier winds up with the girl... Marsh doesn't feel great about that. And then they go off and get captured, and Mare dies in the pits. Kelsier comes back, and he's a mistborn. I think, at that point, Marsh's pride has already been shattered. He's already lost the girl he loved to his brother, and then when his brother comes back from all that, his brother has way more powers. Like, the thing that made Marsh more, in terms of ability, than Kelsier has been... T- as, like, Kelsier's just far outstripped him as a result of that anyway. So, uh, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Marsh just doesn't have time for pride anymore. It's an interesting point. That's some serious sibling rivalry shit there. Yeah. And, you know, we know there's a lot of tension between these two, so... It's true. And that's, yeah, it's going to come up here in a minute, even. But uh, also, good line is that uh, when he's like, perhaps you have as much as talent as Kelsier has been bragging about, which that's cute. Kelsier's bragging about his tra- his uh, his apprentice or whatever you want to call her. 
It's also Kelsier. It's like he, he could be like, yeah, look how good she is. I must be a good teacher. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So I'm curious also now that it goes into detail here. And if you're a nerd like me, this is su- the super fun part where it's like you can. Here's how you tell the pushing metals from the pulling metals. But then there's also this variance in wavelength of what you can feel. And that's even that's how they organize the lower eight metals into different categories to begin with or at least some of them, is by what you sense when you use bronze and you sense whether they're pulling or pushing or what the wavelength is. Do you guys feel like that's more complicated than it needs to be? You could just say, like, oh, yeah, that feels like pewter. Or I think it's cool. I don't know how other people feel about it. I really like it. Oh, just, like, it it just makes it apparent that they – he. Um, when he was writing it, Sanderson really wanted to go and do as much detail. Like, he thought about it. He didn't just want to say, these are some cool powers and people do cool shit with them. He wanted to explore how they exist, why they exist, what you can do with them, um, and how they work, which always Mm -hmm. makes them feel more real and interesting than this guy can manipulate magnetic fields and throw shit around. End of story. Yeah, I like that there's there's an order to it, there's a place for it, like it's you answer answer some of these questions and even though like it, it's not something that we would come across in our real lives it's it's really well thought through and okay well they can tell the difference well how can they tell the difference here you go i'll explain why they can tell the difference and something you know having different wavelengths and giving off different feelings and stuff i'm like that's really sciencey and i like it <laughs> especially when we're dealing with metals and stuff that we or at least the the eight uh metals that we know of and deal with and they sit in our mm-hmm. periodic table and they all have their own properties and things like that. Like it, it carries through into this world. And I think that's really cool. I think it's probably my, one of my favorite parts about uh, these books is the way that the world has magic, but the way they look at it, the people in the world is they are, they approach it scientifically to understand it. Like there's charts and the, the metals are organized into pairs because they, and you know, Marsh talks about like, yeah, they they research this and they use this bronze to sense to figure out how to divide them up, and it just it feels like a very scientific approach to categorize something that is quite clearly just crazy magical shit. Like, I can push on stuff and fly through the air, but how does that work? We're gonna find out. We're gonna study it and categorize it and make it all make sense. Which I feel like is how we would approach it in our world too, is there would be some people who are just like, Oh, this is cool, magical craziness. And there would be people who were like, well, let's, let's figure out all the details and understand it scientifically. What is going on here? Vin notes that, uh, Marsh seems to know a lot about metals and things. And she kind of uses this to, opportunity to push on his emotions a bit, to get him to talk about himself. And we start finding out some history. He's like, you know how Kelsier feels about the nobility? Well, that's how I feel about the obligators. I will do anything to hurt them. They took our mother, and that's when I snapped and vowed to destroy them. So he does not like obligators. Although he's now got, like, the eye tattoos and stuff so that he can, or he's going to, I forget if he already has them at this point, uh, so that he can join the obligator ranks to try to bring them down. I think that's where we'll see a bit of a difference between Marsh and Kelsier, though. Like, Kelsier, I feel like, would go in guns blazing, kill them all, done. Whereas Marsh will sit back and then you know, build up this undoing for the obligators, which, you know, is a bit bit of a difference, I think, between the two brothers. Yeah, Marsh definitely seems more of a planner and more patient than his brother. Although Kelsier has some sort of big plan that in the next chapter we even get hints that he hasn't even told people all of what he is planning. Mm. 
And then Marsh figures out that Vin is pushing out his emotions, and he's like, stop that. That is the second time you've done that. Do not ever do it again. I love his reaction. It's like, I had to understand it. Understand everything I could. Be as good as... And are you soothing me? <laughs> it's like, I, I would never have noticed if I hadn't started rambling. You are good. <laughs> it's like, mid, like, yeah, mid train of thought. He's just like, it's like, and then all this is happening. Like, hey, hang on a minute. Stop it. <laughs> Bad misborn. <laughs> and Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I will destroy you. Uh, and they talk a little bit about uh, when marsh first noticed her when they tried to scam him and she was pushing on his emotions she promises not to do it again scouts on her that's what i'm picturing in my head you can't see me but i'm like holding up these two fingers like i promise i won't do it again (laughs) and they talk about uh, how vin hates her brother but Marsh does not hate Kelsier, even though, you know, he's he's frivolous and self-important, but he's my brother. And she says, and that's enough. And he nods. And she says, I have trouble understanding that. Which yeah. is just yeah, the saddest thing. It's always enough thing. for me. Yeah. We're, 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 we're such loving brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is sad. You're right. Yeah. yeah no, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really sad. It's maybe one of the saddest moments uh, of Vin so far, where it's just like, you know, having this person... Her, who's her family that's not that's not enough that doesn't make you love someone it's it, which makes sense i mean i'm not saying it doesn't make sense it's just sad it's also a, a very frank thing for her to say to someone she really doesn't know that well i mean it took her a while to warm up to kelsia and maybe it's just because she's gotten used to the crew and everything else like that but you know she and marsh haven't really had much to do with each other and now she's just like yeah i hated my brother and uh, I don't get people who like their siblings because <laughs> I guess it makes sense. It, I mean, I, I agree. And it's kind of it's almost the same thing you brought up before. Where she's like, he, she's really open with Ellen when she, it took so long to like break through her shell for other people. But I think part of it is like she doesn't have a chance to talk to people with brothers that she knows very often. Like this may be the only pair of brothers that she knows offhand. The first chance she gets to compare her relationship with Reen with somebody else. And it's it's nice that like both Kelsier and Marsh are like, yeah, you know, I still love that guy. He's neither of them seems to like like each other all that much. But Do you love your brother? Yes, I just don't like him. He's a dickhead. (laughs) That's kind of what Marsh says as we continue on in the chapter. But he's like, you know, he's trying. Uh, We find out that, uh, you know, Vin's mom's crazy, heard voices and uh Reen comes home one day and finds that their mother has killed her baby sister messily. That's its own sentence is the word messily. And then a period, which that just conjures, you know, fun stuff. And me, however, she had not touched except to give me an earring <laughs> battling and proclaiming me to be a queen, holding me in her lap with my sister's corpse at our feet. And that's the day that they left living with her mom. It's terrifying. Any more. No joke, but do you need any more evidence that this is the Lord Ruler's kid? I mean, she's calling her queen. She's killing. She's killing <laughs> other kids who aren't worth a damn. Honestly, I think maybe Vin accidentally killed her own sister. If I'm being honest about that theory in there, but anyway. that's, that's dark. Not on purpose. She was a child, and she's probably repressed the memory. Yeah, I don't. I think I find it interesting that. Her mom kills her sister, gives her an earring, and that's still the earring that Vin wears that we've seen her talking about before that she wears all the time, which is a little bit creepy. 
I guess, you know, you have, you have a child who desperately wants to believe that, you know, okay, mum was insane, she still loved me, and this is all I have left of her. It's like, when 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 you love someone and you desperately want them to believe they loved you as well, you might hang on to things past the point of rationality. So even though mum was apparently a crazy nutcase, Vin is someone who has, at that point, has no one that really loved her, and she wants to believe that her mother did, so she holds on to the earring as a, as a in the hope that that was true. I'm really curious about what actually happened there because they talk about the the mother was trying to kill her when she was younger. And I'm like, this sentence doesn't sound like she tried to kill her. Or did she try and kill her and Vin survived? Like, Vin a- appeared not to be touched. It's like, oh, what, what actually happened there? Is this the moment that you snapped? Like, Or, you know, how old were you at this point? I think there's, mm-hmm. there's so many questions to be to be answered here. You know, or, or did did Vin make the mother kill the sister? Was the little sister getting too much attention? Like, yeah, I don't know. It opens so many questions. It would also go a long way to explain why Reen hates Vin, hated Vin so much, and treated her like such garbage. He blames her for the whole mess. Mm. Maybe, but I mean, he did like take her away to, at least according to Vin, to keep her safe from her mom. They had to run, and he took her with him. Well, probably, but I, I just assume, like, sa- save the sister, and then the more you think about it, the more you live with it, you just start to stew on it and dwell on it, and then mm-hmm. eventually that turns into hatred and resentment and using her for your own gain. Yeah, there's there's definitely some stuff going on there, and I, I agree with Jamie that it's it really makes you want to know more about that story. Although, apparently the only person, unless Vin somehow recovers some repressed memories the only person who could actually tell us is her crazy mom who it doesn't seem like she's seen in a very long time and uh, then we start talking about kelsey again and marsh is like i've been known to kill obligators murdering men just because they're noble like he's he's worried about what's going on with kelsey or too and it's not just that he likes people to fawn over him which the next chapter does not dispute that Vin starts to pick up on, oh, like, uh, Marsh was, it wasn't just people liking Kelsier better, it was specific someone who liked Kelsier better. Mm. I think it's pretty impressive that she manages to pick pick up on that in uh, just, like, a word or two in here. And, uh, but Marsh feels like he's trying to do something good now, so he's gonna go along with it. But only really, because... You know, he's like, Kelsier's plan is going to probably fail horribly and get him killed. But if he can sneak me into the ministry, then I can gather information that will help the rebellion for centuries after this. So he's he's really the long term thinker here. It also shows he's prepared to you know give his life for the cause. Yeah, no doubt. Although, given what we've just learned, whether it's for the cause or because of just how much he hates the obligators, maybe up to question also. Point. Although I feel like that brings up something that we talked about before, where it's like, so apparently the obligators found out and killed the mom when they were pretty young. So I don't know, based on that, it's like, how did Marsh and Kelsier not also get killed? It's interesting. Hmm. And Marsh says that when Kelsier comes back, you know, he'll have to stop coming in through the front door before people start to realize what's going on and connect this guy with the survivor. So he'll have to be more subtle when he gets back. And Vin has a thought where she's like, they really don't hate each other. What would that be like? Which, once again, that's just, you poor thing. You're a daily reminder. Yeah, well. 
And that's that's what the chapter ends with, more or less, is saying this like like the concept of alimantic pulse links that she was supposed to be looking for. She just didn't understand this loving a sibling thing. So yeah, the first chapter is very character focused there, and in the second chapter we're getting. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we finally get to see the army and kind of what's going on with this whole thing because we've been very kind of laser focused on Vin for a lot of these chapters since they've been recruiting an army. But I guess first we got the epigraph which in this case is a quote, which the other ones aren't in quotes. So it's like the guy who's writing the journal is mm. quoting something. It's the hero of ages. It's something about the hero of ages, a description of what the hero of ages will be. Yeah. Shelby, not a man, but a force. Yeah. yeah. It's very, it's, it, it's very just dehumanizing. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 well, maybe, I don't know, but like dehumanizing fits, but not in a, like less than human but in more of a more than human sort of way like building up to godhood so right is this so because it's in quotes like Quan was the one who came up with the prophecy i assume this is what Quan was saying uh, I sh- uh, yeah i assume this is a quote from Quan about lord ruler's future mm. and then like i think dak was saying earlier we move into the chapter and it's the words that we have uh that we've read are those really the very first words hold on i gotta look Look at that. We're bringing it full circle. Yep, sometimes I, want, I worry I'm not the hero everyone thinks I am. It was the very first sentence of the book, and here it comes again. And yeah, it's like, I, th- I think the first paragraph of this little note from Lord Rule's journals is new, but all the rest of them, I'm pretty sure they are um, from the epigraphs earlier in the yep. book. Yeah, it, it should be sounding very familiar I think the last sentence as well, it like, it, yeah, it sort of brings a couple of them together, I think. Yeah. Well, and the last sentence is an interesting, and I can't talk. An interesting one that I was going to bring up because that's the one that started out. I think section two that you guys were like, that sounds like it's different from the rest. Like it's not part of the same thing. But when you read it in context, it kind of fits. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. it. It's like, oh, so we've just been reading all these epigraphs out of order. Mm-hmm. Lord Ruler presents oh, pulp, pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> We get more to talk about Rashek, which, like I said, I think we already read all this, but it's like, man, if anyone could spot a fraud, wouldn't it be him? But he hates me so much. And Kelsier just finds this super interesting. He's like, I'm really glad I had Says give me a copy of this because there's nothing else to do on this long trip. But this is really, really interesting look at the character of this guy, except at the same time, it kind of annoys him. He's like... You know, it, it all fits with what we've heard about the Lord Ruler from before, that he was, like, the greatest of men entrusted with the fate of mankind. Uh, and, you know, seeing all this self-doubt and stuff just makes it more tragic. That's that's how Kelsey operates, though. He like he tries to always think of his enemies as not people, but as just objects worthy of destruction. Mm. That's how he thinks of the nobility. So he's just like, God damn it, I hate thinking about my enemies like they're people. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, too, that this, this extract is... It's filled with self-doubt and questioning himself. And then later in this chapter, you've got the question. It's like, are we the same? Should we be ruled? And he's like, no. <laughs> you know, d- just don't let that doubt creep in. Yeah. I want to see Ham's reaction to reading this, because I feel like he would have an interesting take on it. Mm. Uh, let's see. So Kelsier comes out and he says it's time to be a bit ostentatious and starts flying through the air in front of everybody. Like he hasn't been already. Yeah, but he usually does it at night. He's like, it's kind of weird in like full daylight True. doing this. 
he's like, oh wow, my cloak looks a lot less impressive, like against the, <laughs> against the daytime sky. Without the mist, you know, it's a mist cloak, so it's supposed to. Yeah. Yedin calls him Lord Kelsier. I think that may be the first occurrence, actually. Um, it's like we've arrived at the. Cro- I like how people keep telling him we've arrived at the crossroads. And he tries to be friendly about it, but he's just like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Come on. <laughs> And they meet up with a group of people led by young Captain Demu to take them to General Hammond. And I like how Kelsier thinks about how young this guy is, but he's like, well, just because I was like a, a fop when I was that age doesn't mean that everyone is. Fop is a good word. I like it. <laughs> and then as they approach the caves where the rebellion is hiding, we get uh, Kelsier's thoughts about having to go down in there, which is a recurring theme in this chapter. But we also get a little peek at uh, life at the pits of half sin which yeah, basically hard cave for. diving and shoving shoving your hands into 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 the rock walls to pull out the geodes which i presume must be where the scars on his wrist come from mm. yeah yeah i think that it's like jagged rocky holes that he's reaching through mm. yeah it's like you yeah. Jam, just jam your hand in there and pull them back out again you're shredding your forearms right we finally know how he got those scars <laughs> <laughs> He really does have, like, a Joker vibe, right? He's, like, he's got the scars. He's, like, check me out. Look at my scars. And then he's, like, oh, hey, by the way, um, I want to I wanna put some chaos into the final empire. How about that? does kind of want to watch it. Got watch a real Joker world, thing though. going on. This yeah. empire deserves a better class of ruler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, a, and he's technically a criminal, too, so yep. you could even say this, this empire deserves a better class of criminal. <laughs> <laughs> he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't really have a problem with the other criminals. It's the the institution that he's not a fan of. Yeah. Kelsey, uh, why is your Miss Cloak purple now? No reason. <laughs> I, why I, are you I, wearing I makeup? <laughs> why did you cover your arms in white makeup? <laughs> we also learned that Allomancy destroys or shatters the Adium crystals, and that's why they have to have plain old people go down there and pull out the Adium. And one geode bought you one week of life at the pits. Of all the sadistic things that we've heard about, this is shouldn't be surprising, but it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> yeah, well, just, hard, it, hard price. It's pretty awful. My my first thought was like, it just seems impractical. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't know. I uh, you you hear the fantasy stories about slaves working in the mines and like this and the stories generally go the slave we just work the slaves until they die and then you got these guys it's like nah screw that we're speeding up the process if they can't do the job right in a week we're gonna kill them <laughs> you, you're gonna run out of mine realistically but then I they work... scar are just not valued and like just brought in all the damn time mm-hmm. they were gonna die anyway and it depended like it depends on I guess how many people were actually being sent there. And why were they being sent there? Because you'd probably have an overrun of people. And you'd be like, ah, we'll get rid of you. I mean, we never intended for you to leave anyway. We might as well just kill you because you might live forever and we run out of room. Or there's an increased chance of escape as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I, get, I guess it's motivation to always actually be doing the job. If you, if, you, if it's just uh, yep. you will work here until you collapse, then it's just like, well, I guess I just don't have to work very hard then. So... <laughs> That would be my take on it. If I wasn't going to die, if I didn't find something, I'd be like, well, I'll crawl down there and take a nap. <laughs> yeah. It's a real, uh, it's a real arbiter storyline. He's, he's guilty. They're going to kill him, but they're, he's going to die, uh, doing something in service, uh, for the Lord Emperor, basically. Yeah. So you're going to die on it, our, our terms, not yours. Yeah. 
he, they do specify in this chapter that there's always enough ska and it maybe even be biological that there's always enough to go around no matter how many you kill uh, we find out that recruitment is picked up he brought 240 people this time I, just, I loved Ham's line. Like Kelsey comes down, it's like, man, that's a hell of an entryway. And Ham's just like, you should see the bathroom. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> want to know. I don't want to know. I really don't. Because that, as soon as he says that, it gets you thinking. Like, well, yeah, what? How do they handle that with like ten thousand people underground? I mean, did people clean this out and take it? No, I don't want to know. I'm just, I'm not gonna think about it. Yes, <laughs> uh, as soon as he said that, I laughed out loud. That was such a good line. And Yedin is really just like, oh my gosh, Kelsier, you are so awesome. Oh, wow. You've all, these caves are so cool. Like, Yedin is just like doubling over with enthusiasm at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, not to be crass, but I thought he was going to drop to his knees and like open Kelsier's pants. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> yep. Look, I also got that impression. Like, Lord Kelsier, may I give you a back rub? What? No. <laughs> But Kelsier tries to turn, turn it around, and he's like, well, but you were the one who believed in me from the start, Yedin. All of this is because of you. And he's like, yeah, I did, didn't I? As if he wasn't at that first meeting where he's like, I hate all of you people. This interaction really makes me think, this is the guy you want to hand control the Empire over to? I'm really <laughs> losing faith in him. Every it's moment, like... you have less faith in Yedin. I'm just, I'm just like, man, I had more respect for, for you when you were the crappy asshole. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. It's like if Kelsier was all of a sudden to try to take over control after the revolution was successful, this guy's not going to fight him. This guy's going to be like, oh, Kelsier, great, you're here to be in charge, awesome. Yeah, it's like between this and the way he reacted when Marsh first showed up, it's like Yedin is just the kind of guy who's like, this isn't going to work if I'm in charge, I need other people to do it instead, <laughs> and, I can, and I can see the results. Like, if Yedin gets put in charge, things aren't going to go well. And Kelsey tries to play it off when Ham brings it up. He's like, you know, Yedin's just never been part of an effective team before. Results can convert even stubborn people. And then the next line is, Ham didn't look convinced. Because it's not really a very convincing <laughs> argument, but he totally lets it kind of go. And they go to uh, check out the other two entrances. Yeah, there's like three total entrances. So there's, they go check out the other two. Where Kelsier does his whole, like... Oh, man, these soldiers are so awesome. If all your soldiers are as fine as this, then the Lord Ruler's in trouble. It's He's just laying it on thick, but the men are eating it up, so, you know. And we find out that nobody's allowed to leave without a letter from the general, which, when they explain why, it makes sense. But at the same time, I feel like it really dials back into the concerns we had earlier about the morality of what's going on, where they use the Alamancy to convince people to come and join this rebellion— and then they're not allowed to leave until they're sent off to fight. It's kind of messed up. Yeah, it's like you can see both sides of the argument. It's like, yeah, you, like you you can't leave because like if word gets out, this is what's happening here. We're all fucked. But yeah, they're basically being held hostage to their own cause. And we meet at least one guy later who has an issue with that. Uh, okay, so moving, moving. Kelsier's full of good ideas. Yeah. Well. I was like, they, they can't afford out uniforms for all the men, but they want the officers to have uniforms so that, you know, it looks good. Even though Ham kind of hates his uniform, I think he we establish. But this I don't know. It's like a terrible idea as well. Uniform means target. Well, that's a good point, too. And Ham may mention it here. I don't know if you guys remember from before he left the city, but we never see we never saw him before this wearing anything with sleeves. He doesn't like sleeves. 
I did not notice that. What? Yeah, he's always wearing like vests and stuff that don't have sleeves. Ham's not a fan of uh, of sleeves. He's like permanently guns out, guns out. He's like got to show off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they, this is where they start to talk about uh, what we brought up before, where they start to get into it. But it starts out with uh, Ham saying he's worried that the people are doing well in here, but when you get them out on the battlefield they may not feel like this is a fight that they can win just because of a thousand years of being told their place or whatever, right? And Kelsier has, you know, Ham says that he's not used to the whole being in charge of people. And Kelsier has an int- a thought where he's like, I know how you feel. I'm a thief, not a prophet. But sometimes we have to do what the job requires. Which feels a little mm-hmm. bit out of place there to me. What exactly does he mean by prophet? I th- uh, uh- you're breaking really up a little bit, Joe. Non... Hold on. I think Kelsier is really taking on more than he he bargained for, but more than he is. And self, he's he's imagining a picture of himself to these people that's far beyond, you know, what he actually is, which is a man who has the powers of a misborn. He's saying he has to be so, become something so great that they're willing to do anything for him. And I think that's that's kind of what he's getting at here. He's like, we've got to, I'm a thief, but I have to be more than that. I have to be more than I've ever been to get this job done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he tells Ham that they're, he's, Ham's going back with him. They need somebody with contacts in the garrison to gather intelligence, and he's the only one that they have like that. And Ham is sad for half a second. And he's like, I'll finally be able to get out of this uniform. He, he's not a fan of it. <laughs> and uh, Ham's like, you should we really leave Yedin in charge here. And he's like, well, it's going to be his army at some point. We should probably let him actually lead at, uh, at some juncture here, which makes sense, but it doesn't make me feel better. No. Yeah. I mean, it's totally logical. If Yedin's supposed to be in charge, you gotta let him be in charge, but he's, his temperament has never, whether it was grumpy Yedin at the beginning or like hero worshiping Kelsey or Yedin right now, he's never to me seemed to have the right temperament to be a leader of a group of people. No, no. He's always come across as someone who uh, will stand will stand back and get other people to have their say. He won't have his own say unless he's just interjecting every so often. He's not a take charge person, so. Mm. How the hell he wound up in charge of the rebellion after Marsh took off? I I don't know. Good point. Maybe nobody else wanted the job. Yeah, maybe. And Ham has a line about how beautiful it is down here, and Kelsier's like uh, just thinking to himself, like, no, I will never be able to see this as being beautiful after what I've been through. And um, we find out a little bit more, more talking about how horrible the pits were, endless caves going straight down. That you have to wiggle through cracks and plunge down into the darkness with no light. And uh, he always made it back up until the last time when he did not find a geode, but his wife gave him one saying that she had found two. And he didn't find out that she was lying until she'd already been beaten to death for not finding one. Which, if his story was not sad enough before, here's a little cherry on top for you. Yeah, and that question of whether she gave it to him out of love or guilt. Mm-hmm. Like, Ugh, that's got to do nasty things to a man's psyche. For sure. Yeah. And 
it it affected him so much that that is the night that he snapped and came into his powers. And then the, the line is, the next night, men had died. Many men. Which you can't blame him for, but, jeez. Uh, no. But it's also many men. doesn't say which men, if it was all the guards or some of his fellow prisoners as well. It's true. We know that he's recognized as the survivor of Hathson, as if there is not another one. So if he tried to lead a group escape, it does not sound like anyone else made it. Hmm. And he's just like, I can't think about this anymore, Ham. Tell him to, what, what are you thinking? Get, give it to me. And Ham is so excited. He's like, really? Okay, here's what I got. <laughs> and uh, we won't delve into to it too deeply because we've hit on it a few times already. But it's just like his his thought this time is are Ska and Nobleman like genetically actually different for various reasons. Apparently the obligators talk about a thing called the balance where Ska always have lots of children and the noblemen do not. That way there's always enough Ska to support the noblemen, no matter how many of them get killed or beaten. It made me think, um, reading a Michael Crichton book a long time ago. And at one point, one of the characters is talking about the ratio of predators to prey in Africa. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, for, for one, what was it? So, I forget the exact numbers, but it's like for every one line you have in a certain amount of square miles, there'll be about 25 prey animals or, or so. And then you've got to account for all the smaller predators as well, like hyenas and jackals and whatnot, and you've got to increase the prey exponentially to account for feeding all of the predators. And it gave me that same sort of vibe reading this about how there's always going to be more scar than noblemen so that they will have, you know, for, for one nobleman, there'll be X amount of slaves. Yep. It just yeah, it gave you a very predator versus prey mindset. That is the lost world that you're talking about, if I remember correctly. It was yes. Yep. Good book. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally see the the parallel there. I sort of got to thinking that if maybe this was the excuse, like maybe it's a result of like inbreeding amongst nobility because they've got to keep their bloodlines pure, and they mm. actually have fertility issues and all sorts of stuff, and it's like the Lord Ruler going, yep, yep, that's the way we planned it. It's totally <laughs> normal, guys. It's fine. That, that's that's kind of funny, actually. I like that. It's like, it happened over time, <laughs> in, sometime during this 1,000 years, where they just started to have these problems, and he's like, oh no, that's 100% on purpose. <laughs> yep. Wink. And Kelsier kind of refutes all of Ham's points, except for the Allomancy thing. It's like, Allomancy is genetic, and no Ska has it unless they have aristocratic, I can talk, blood somewhere in the last five generations. So that's a point. They have separate bloodlines, clearly. Does that mean that they're physically different beyond the Allomancy? I guess that's the question. And then he ends with, like, what if the noblemen are right to rule over us? At which point Kelsier's like, you, you don't mean that. And he's like, no. And Kelsier's just like, look, I know it's hard to see because things have been this way for so long, but this is not right. And you have to believe that. And it's Kelsier even kind of thinks it later. He's like, Ham is one of the most dedicated people on his team, and even Ham is thinking this. So what must other people be thinking? So he's there for a week, reviewing troops, Seen to training and food and weapons, just being seen mostly. And uh, there's there's some discussion in here about like magic and how the Ska view Alamancy because they're not even really supposed to know about it. And even Yen 
doesn't really have any idea. If you go back to like the first time we met Yedin, he has that line where he's like, I don't even know if Mistborn are real. I've certainly never met one. And Breeze is like, you should talk less. You'll sound less stupid. So <laughs> we kind of revisit that here where he still, despite having been with this crew for a while, even he doesn't really know or get how Alamancy works. Maybe he never cared enough to try to find out, but it really comes into play with what happens, this big demonstration. So they're at the big dinner. This felt sort of like Kelsia punishing um, Ham by proxy for what he was saying. I get that, that impression. I mean, I think the, the, what the book is trying to say is that Kelsey is just really worried that about how prevalent this thought might be and he needs to get them over it. But I can see how, because it really affects Ham. He's yeah. very unhappy about what happens. And it's the first time we've ever seen Ham like that. I mean, and from yeah. I, I remember what Bree said about how he said, "Oh, if if the army only had one leg and were all mutes, Ham would uh, talk about how they were good listeners and their balance was really good. Like Ham sees <laughs> yeah. the positive in everything. So for for that guy to be freaked the hell out, Kelsey's crossed the line. Well, and by Kelsey doing what he did, he's now just gone and shown it doesn't matter. Like that's a scar life. It doesn't matter." all in aid of this greater good you know and that's scary yeah and we've talked before about kelsier being kind of a drama queen and needing to do things dramatically but this is like a whole other level of that this is dark this is this is a path that he should not be traveling killing noblemen or killing your enemy is one thing this guy's not an enemy yeah he's killing he might express some different views but yeah, I mean, he might as well have killed some younglings, you know what I'm saying? He's got a real Anakin <laughs> vibe going on. So, I guess, to establish what happened, so that we can kind of talk about it, they're at the big dinner, Kelsier is thinking about what Ham said, and he decides he needs an example to show these guys, to get them believing like they can win. So he has Ham point out some troublemakers. So they find this really big guy, a big tough guy, who's been a troublemaker. And Kelsier sits there, and he uses Alamancy to rile up his emotions to get him more and more upset, and then makes a speech, and the guy doesn't even, like, jump up and, like, yell anything. He kind of, like, says something off to his friends on the side, and Kelsier's like, what was that? Did you say something? And the guy's uh, like, yeah, how come we're not allowed to leave if, you know, everything is so awesome? You're just keeping us here until we have to die for you. Like, we don't have a choice at this point. You're you're, you're just going to kill us and you're keeping his prisoner here until that time comes, which is not completely unfair from his perspective. I mean, we know that they don't plan on the army. Kelsey even says they don't really plan on the army having to fight a whole lot if everything goes to plan, at least not at first. You you don't raise an army if you're not expecting to fight. Yeah, and and you definitely don't train them telling them you probably won't have to fight. It's fine. Yeah. So as far as these guys know, they're about to go out and fight. (sighs) And so he riles this guy up enough to get him to start talking back and then tries to shame him by being like, oh, why are you so eager to go sell out your companions to the Lord Ruler, huh? And he has the line about how it's not fitting for a general to fight a man beneath his command. Is there some soldier here willing to defend the honor of this rebellion? And we get young Captain Damu from earlier, who Ham is like, I put him in charge because I trust him. He's not a good fighter, and this guy is one of the best fighters. You can't do this. Kelsey's like, shut up, Ham. And he uses, he, he sets these two to fighting each other and uses his allomancy 
to help Damu win the fight. But at the end of the fight, he makes a well, before I even get there, he tries to get Damu to kill the guy, and Damu doesn't want to. He's resisting. And so in the end, he's like, no, it's okay. He has a thought, an angry thought, this man should die. And then he thinks, no, this is enough. And he doesn't kill the guy. But he tells the men or gives them the impression that beyond the fact that he has this 11th medal that he's going to use to kill the Lord Ruler, that he can somehow transfer his powers to them to help them win the fight. And I talked about even Yedin doesn't understand Alamancy because Yedin's like, oh my gosh, you can do that? How can we possibly lose if you can give your Alamancy powers to all of the men? And Ham's like, shut up, eat. And he's very unhappy about what just happened. And rightfully so. So now we established, just for the audience, what exactly we're talking about. What do you guys think? It's fucked up. (laughs) It's really, really dark. And it comes back to, like, that morality thing that we were talking about as well. You know, he, he picked this guy out and was using, he was, you know, soothing and riding this guy, getting him riled up, knowing exactly what he was walking into. And it's like, that guy could have lost his life when he may have just sat there. Like, yeah, he didn't agree with it, but now you've fueled him into doing this. And I know he was trying to set an example, but this was not the way to do it. Well, you say it was not the way to do it. It was effective. Everyone in the army is like yelling and cheering and into it now. It got what it it set the example that he wanted to set. Now, was it the right thing to do? But where do you stop? Where do you draw that line? Mm-hmm. he's willing to do this now what else is he willing to do down the track yeah and i mean this is this is what i've been kind of mulling over this whole episode and and what i started out talking about when we first started talking is just there's something icky about the whole thing about what he's doing about what a lot of the characters do um, but especially him because not only not only did he try to set an example out of this guy but he rioted him into speaking up in the first place. He probably could have gone on and given his speech, and that guy may have not completely agreed with it. But he would never, I don't think he ever would have gotten up and kind of opposed Kelsier without being pushed into doing that. So right off the bat, you've got him using that riot power to basically alter that man's behavior. And to to make an example of him and not only that he if you because when you really get down to it he rioted this guy and then he was going to set an example he he made the guy stand up to him and then he wanted to kill the guy it just i'm not going to say it makes me sick because it's not a real thing it's not actually happening but it's it definitely does not feel good to read Especially for a character that we're like we're supposed to be behind, so it was it was rough for me. He's acting like exactly what they're fighting against. Mm. He's like they they should be better than that. Well, and almost as if to make the whole thing worse, he then tells Ham, "I want you to pick a few dozen of the most trustworthy soldiers and send them back to Luthadel, so that word can spread of this evening." And Ham says, so this is about your ego, because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like Kelsier just wants all of the Ska to realize how, you know, amazing and powerful he is. 
And Kelsier says, sometimes we have to do things that we find distasteful, Ham. My ego may be considerable, but this is about something else entirely. But what else could it be about? He's setting himself up as the symbol for the rebellion, I guess. And I see what he wants to do in that he wants the men to believe that they can win. And it's a legitimate problem, as far as I'm concerned, that these people who for generations have been told that they have no right to fight back against their oppressors, they might legitimately, deep down, believe that they don't have that right, that they they should lose. And you can't have an army that thinks that way. That's suicide. But so I, I, I don't... I agree that it's messed up that he would force a guy into doing this and then try to kill him as part of uh, the example. But I get why it's important for the army. But then you turn around and he's like, now I want everyone back in Luthadel to know about it too, to spread word of this far and wide. Why? What purpose does that serve in this narrative that he's setting up? I mean, maybe in his mind, he's trying to give the other scar hope maybe it'll yield them more uh, members for their army or, or something mm. like that. I think maybe that's like, and, and yeah, it, it probably is effective and it probably will work because they go, Oh, this can happen and you can transfer Alamancy and this is great. Like we've actually got a fighting chance and, and people will want to join, but he's, he's giving them a false hope. Like he could, he could do that to that one person what happens when a thousand of them march in and then they realize that they can't do it? You know, I, I don't think it's going to end particularly well. He's just going to raise this army of thousands of people that, that want to fight and they really are just going to their slaughter. And does that, does that make it in the end, does that make their cause any better than what the Lord ruler has done? Like they're going to overthrow this empire and to, to what to be the same, like, it doesn't make him any better, in my opinion. Mm. What about you, Dak? Does it does, does it support your theory that Kelsier is going to be the bad guy? Or, like you said at the beginning, is it kind of leaning too hard into it now for that to be the case? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, I, don't, I mean, if it looks yeah, it looks like it's setting it very obviously up for Kelsier to be no better, which I think is the ultimate point is like Vin will be the hero of these books. Kelsey will not, whether, whether that means Kelsey would be the villain or not. I don't know, but I, I still, I'm standing by my theory that he will be, I don't know. I feel, I feel like the final confrontation of this book is probably going to be going to be between Kelsey and Vin. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, after making that prediction and then all of a sudden we get hit with something as heavy as this, where it's like making it, really full-on, like, this is not a good guy. I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, like Kelsey says, there's always another secret. So is there something else behind all this? Is Kelsey, uh, try, I don't know, trying to set himself up? Like, is he trying to do all the nasty stuff so the rest of the guys in the crew don't have to? And then he's expecting to die in the course of everything so all the others can come through and um, this rebellion will occur and, he, and their hands will be clean because all the horrible, nasty stuff that needed to happen for their rebellion, Kelsier took care of that himself so they wouldn't have to. Is he trying to martyr himself? Well, you got to figure, if he still doesn't know how to work the 11th medal, that he at least thinks there's a good chance he could die fighting the Lord Ruler. So maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Before we hit the end of the chapter, I would like to pull out one thing from the uh, the annotations this week, uh, where Brandon writes, 
on a final note for this chapter, Bilg, that's the guy that Demu just fought, I prefer him dead. In the original draft of the book, I had Kelsier, through Demu, kill Bilg in the duel. I thought it was appropriate and would be the sort of thing that Kelsier would do. In addition, I wanted to emphasize the ruthless edge that Kelsier had. He's willing to do whatever he has to in order to see that his goals are achieved. It's this conflict, the happy, joking Kelsier, mixed with the hard, ruthless rebel leader that makes him interesting to me. But apparently, some of uh, the alpha readers and other people had issues with that and felt that it was a little too much. So he ended up uh, not having him die. So that Kelsier, he says, remains a less tarnished hero. I mean, I think it's still too much. I think that's the point I've been making. I, th- I think it's too much anyway. Mm-hmm. Would it have been a lot worse if he died? Like, what do you think? Uh, yeah, if he if he had killed that guy, I might have said, hey, guys, I can't do this podcast anymore. Because right now I'm just I'm really not liking Kelsier one little bit. What if, what if he turns out to be the bad guy? Then it's intentional that uh, you're not supposed to like him that much. Well, we'll have to see how that plays out, I guess. You were telling us that, you know, a good bad guy is sometimes the best character. So maybe if you weren't liking him, then, you know. Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, yeah, I mean, if we got to see how it plays out. It's just this, you know, I don't know how Brandon thinks or about his characters, how complex he wants to make them. I mean, I've enjoyed a lot of this book, uh, but I don't want the ultimate hero to be somebody like this. It's like, uh, to me, to me, Kelsier's role is like Snape in the Harry Potter franchise. He's not the ultimate hero of the books. He shouldn't be. He's not a good person. If When you get right down to his core, even with the sacrifices he made, he is not a good person. He never no, was. He, he's a jerk. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so, you know, I don't want the main hero of the book to be somebody like that. I want the main hero of the book, even if they're complex, even if they have their demons, I want them to be good for for the sake of being good. You know, like, no, the ulterior motives fall away. You do what's right because it's the right thing to do. That's, like, for me, that's the definition of a hero, but... Do we think that the book is setting up Kelsier to be the main hero? We've we spent a lot of time focusing on Vin, but Kelsier is the leader of the group, so I don't know. What do you think? No, I don't think so. I think I thought so at first, but I don't think... I don't think he will be in the in the long run. I think it's really just setting up Kelsier as a parallel to the Lord Ruler. You know, they've made these comparisons that the Lord Ruler is like the young farm boy who grew up to to save the world, and in doing so, mm-hmm. he became the the ultimate villain. We're getting, a, I think, we're getting a case of history repeating here. Kelsier is like the charismatic rebel leader who's going to take down the tyrant, and in doing so, he's going to become something just as bad, if not worse. Mm. It, there, there do seem to be some parallels, yeah. Okay, we move, the end of the chapter, uh, Kelsier thinks that he wishes he could explain everything to him. Plots behind plots, plans behind plans, there was always another secret. So there's a strong hint there that uh, there's something else going on, something that he can't even tell Ham or maybe any of the crew. Not even Doxon? Well, we don't know. It's a good question. I mean, he has revealed more to Doxon than he has to anyone else, like that little conversation we saw them have. So yeah. maybe Dox, maybe Dox knows. I don't know. Yeah, I I do find it interesting that he and Doxon don't don't spend a lot of a, a lot of time together on page. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like we so maybe I mean yeah maybe we're right maybe Doxon knows almost everything but there are some parts I mean I, earlier in the book I know he told Doxon's like you, you don't know everything yet I've got more going on than what you what you know about right now it's like he some did, of the yeah. things I'm planning to do are going to shock you just wait till you see what I'm planning to do yeah I remember that okay uh, any last thoughts before we move on to predictions just on what Joe was saying before you know charismatic bad guys or you know like complex bad guys can be interesting to read whereas like this is harder for kelsia i think the difference is the fact that when you know they're the bad guy uh for a song of ice and fire tywin lannister we all know he's like an awful horrible person but it's still fascinating to read like to read him doing his thing because we know he's an awful horrible person whereas yeah like we were set up at the start of the book to think of kelsia as the good guy and it's just it's always very hard to see the good guy doing something like this this isn't like Han Solo shooting first. He was doing that to save his life, whereas Kelsey had like there was nothing that forced Kelsey had to do this. Mm. Okay, I think that uh, we've had some really interesting talks. I I knew that this chapter would be uh, an interesting prompt for some discussions, and I like where we've gone. But let's dip into predictions. I'm gonna pick somebody this time to go first. Let's let Dak go first. I think he went last the last two times, so he can go first this time. I don't really have much in the way of predictions. Um, I think that to to tack on to my theory that Kelsia will be the bad guy, I think that if Vin is like Vin's going to be the one who would have to take him down if that were the case, and I think she's actually going to do that using what Marsh taught her because this is the stuff that Kelsia ignores. He doesn't think is relevant, and the brother that he you know didn't really think much of. Like you know, I th- I think that in some odd way, like if Vin has to bring down Kelsia, she's going to use what Marsh taught her to do it. And it's going to, it, it'll almost be like, this is Marsh's not revenge, but payback by proxy for all the crap Kelsia has put him through. Okay. I kind of like that. Um, yeah. All right, Jamie, what do you got? Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure if it falls into a prediction or not, or maybe just a thought, but when to, to become a misting or a mistborn, you have to snap. Now, they're going to have thousands and thousands of Scar fighting in battles, and they're spending all this time, you know, getting to know each other and forming bonds with each other, and they're going to start dying. I reckon we're going to see a lot of them end up with powers. Whether it's in time to actually do anything good for the rebellion or not, I don't know. But I think that's something to sort of watch out for. Um, yeah, I just can't imagine all these people going into fight. And at the end of the day, it only comes down to these core characters we've got. I think there's there's going to be some things to watch out for there. That would be sad if like a bunch of people got alimantic powers in the fight, but it was too late to actually accomplish anything. So. <laughs> Mm. Oh, now I'm sad. Okay, Joe, what do you got? Well, I don't know. I feel like at this stage in the book, I felt so icky about this last chapter. I, I really, I hope that that something turns, or that we, I, I hope or I predict that Kelsier will let the audience, the book readers, in on his plan. Because if there is something more going on, then I really to want to root for these people, I really need to know what it is. I gotta, I gotta get on the inside. I gotta get the scoop because I just, I feel like 
I, I, I think Dak has a lot of credence to his theory that Kelsier's going to be the villain of the piece, but I don't want, I almost don't want that to happen. I want something, I want something more. I want something better for, for Kelsier's character. I want something better for, uh, for all of the characters involved in the book. So, okay. so in theory, Kelsier ends up being the bad guy and Vin actually has to turn and fight him in some way, which, you know, that could totally be, you know, end of the first book is they take over, they, they beat the Lord Ruler, and then the second book, we fight, it's like Kelsier's the actual bad guy, and they're fighting him or something. Something like that. Is is that enough for the other characters? I mean, regardless of what Kelsier's trying to do, the other characters still have their kind of noble intentions, depending on how noble you consider it, that Breeze is really in it for the money, because Kelsier promised them the Adium and lots of money. Docs may be the same reason. It's, it's kind of hard to read Docs and Ham, that uh, they're... You haven't really I mean, seen I, much of Docs at all. It's true. I think I don't know if they're in it really as following Kelsier, more, or if it's for the money that he promised because they're thieves. That's that's why they do all this. So I don't know how noble any of those intentions are right off the bat. But let's say that error on the side of these are actually noble-minded people, and they're doing this because at the core they believe that it's the right thing to do to free the Scoff from the Lord Ruler or whatever. Is that enough that the other characters are? are, uh, you know, still have good intentions and are still doing the right thing if Kelsier is not? I think for you specifically, Joe. Sorry. Just... And, uh, well, I mean, to that question, I'd be like, enough for what? Like, enough for me? Or what? I don't understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. enough for you. Because you were like, I need something more out of these characters. I want more for them. So is that enough for the more? Um, I mean, probably not, honestly, because I'm... I'm I'm a guy who likes a Christ-like victory over over like evil and stuff. Harry Potter, what what other, you know, other Lord other Rings. literary, yeah, that kind of stuff. I like that stuff. That's the kind of fantasy and stuff I can get behind. Now, of course, we're talking about a guy who's turning turning those tropes on their heads in this book. So I get it. I get what he's trying to do. So at the end of the day, I mean. If it's, if the story is satisfying, then I'll understand, but it may not be enough like for me personally to to be to be happy. Which of course, as we've ta- discussed, this is the first book in a trilogy, so we may not even get the whole story here. So I, you know, I'm fine with whatever. But okay, interesting. So you you want Kelsier to be Jesus? I got you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that that was a joke. Nobody laughed. It's fine. I still believe. As a last, um, a last thought from me though, I I still believe that Kelsia believes he's doing this for the right reasons. Not saying that the Lord Ruler was any different. I still think he believes that he has got all the good intentions. But I think, like Joe said, we've got to we've got to be in on his plan soon because we're in the dark. The characters are in the dark. I don't want to get to the last few chapters and Kelsia go, "I've lined this up this whole time." Like we're gonna have to know something soon. Yeah, I don't want a Columbo style. Let me let me explain it to you at the end ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. I guess I guess we'll have to see when uh, when the secrets come out. There's always another secret though, so you know. There's always another uh, secret, and there's always a betrayal. Does there have to be a betrayal? That's sad. Well, there that, that, is, but if they really bring that up a lot, I really feel like there's there's going to be something. 
I mean, that's what... It may not be a very big thing, and but... In a surprise twist, it turns out Yedin was the Lord Ruler all along and <laughs> betrays the ball. <laughs> okay. For next week, we are doing chapters 22 and 23. So everyone read those for next time. And uh, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to hit at the end of the episode. Uh, don't forget uh, Music by Miracle of Sound. Check them out. He's got some cool things going. I was just telling Joe before the podcast started that on his Patreon, he's put up some previews of uh, Final Fantasy VII remake-themed songs that he's doing that are really cool. So check him out. Love that guy. And uh, no emails or anything that I wanted to touch on this week, so nothing there. Just two chapters next time. And But if you, do wanna, if you do want to email us, where do they send oh, it? Thank you. There you go. That, that's something we can touch on. <laughs> You can send us emails at thesanderlanch at gmail.com, or you can leave us messages on Facebook. We did get one message. I told you guys uh, previously that we'd gotten a message where someone said we were really good at keeping the background noise out, and that was the ice cream truck episode. So I was like, I guess we'll see how good we managed to do with this ice cream truck going on. And then she shot me a quick message after listening to that one be like, I didn't hear the ice, ice cream truck at all. You guys are still doing great. So I was like, oh, thanks. That's nice. But yeah, so you can leave us messages on the Facebook page, the Sanderlanch, uh, or uh, at the Sanderlanch on Twitter. Tweet things at us. I think that's it. So we will be back next week for chapters twenty-two and chapters twenty chapter twenty-two and chapter twenty-three. It's not plural when it's just one at a time. Or chapters <laughs> twenty-two and twenty-three. If if I could talk. So please join <laughs> us then. We will see you next week, and thanks for listening. Bring out the brother in me, I'm searching for unity, everything is changing.